Hey, welcome to Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. Let's get right into it. Can I tune in the way I do for Kundalini Yoga? Of course. Do you want to do it with me? Sure. Okay. So we just take our two hands, we put them together and we rub them so we feel a little bit of energy there. And then just tuck our thumbs into the sternum. And take a few deep breaths. And with your eyes closed, you're going to focus your eyes in between your eyebrows at your brow point and your third eye, your Ajna Chakra. And from there, you'll just feel your consciousness start to drop down into your center. And we'll repeat this mantra three times. It's Om Namo Guru Dev Namo. And it sounds like a chant. And so I'll go ahead and chant it for us. And if you feel like joining in, you can, and if you want to just feel the sound of my chant, it's for you as well. I'll take a deep breath in. Exhale. And I'll take a deep breath in to begin. Om Ong Namo Guru Dev Namo Ong Namo Guru Dev Namo And those words, Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, mean I bow to the teachers that brought this wisdom to me and I bow to the teacher that is in, within me. So it's like a great way to get centered and remember that the message isn't necessarily mine, but it is a truth from a lot of places at once. I don't have to, like you were saying, I don't have to be nervous because it's not it's not really about me. <laughs> what a fantastic way to open this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets me in a good place. So, so the if I if I may just jump in. Yes. Then the 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 wonderful uh, chant that you just heard was from the luminous Lumina Gershfield Cordova who is a kundalini yogini, an educator, mother, entrepreneur and recently released her course, Be With Me, that uh, helps families practice yoga and mindfulness together, which is awesome. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That was a great intro. And also in Kundalini Yoga, in Kundalini yoga we say Satnam. Satnam. So I also say Satnam. Yeah. Satnam. So Sat is truth and Nam is name. So we're saying I'll be my true self and you be your true self and we'll be our true selves together here in this space. Satnam times a thousand then. Yeah, I knew you. I knew that was your word, Satnam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about the real real around here. So uh, I'm happy to, happy to bring this Satnam. Yeah. Uh, so just for context, um, Lumen and I actually met 
in San Diego because yeah. we were doing a course creator conference together, which is super duper awesome. Thanks to Amy Porterfield, but originally B school. So that was super yeah. rad. And if it wasn't already obvious, uh, family mindfulness practice is the conversation of the day. And uh, we'll be talking about yoga and play and a bunch of other stuff. But I thought it would be cool if you could tell us a little about yourself in your own words. Great. Thanks. Um, my name is Lumina. And the first question I usually get from people is, is that your real name? And yes, it is. It's the name on my birth certificate. It's the name that my parents gave me. Lumina Infinite actually is my real name. And I was born in Los Angeles in 1978. So that makes a little bit more sense there. <laughs> and <laughs> like Ryan said, I'm a mom of two kids and I'm married to a Kundalini yoga teacher and slash accountant um, named Renee. And he hails from Lima, Peru. He was born in South America and immigrated to the United States when he was 15. And together we practice Kundalini yoga with our kids. And a lot of, we started uh, teaching a kids yoga camp. I started teaching it. And um, some of the parents after picking up their kids would ask me, how can we keep this going at home? Or, you know, yeah, what can I do to practice yoga at home with my kids? And I would try to you know, explain it in just a few seconds. And I realized it was really a much longer and bigger conversation. Um, and so we created an online course also so that I could share it with friends and family who don't live nearby um, and capture just some of the things that we've learned uh, doing yoga and meditation with our kids. When I did my Kundalini yoga teacher training, I had a nine-month-old son and I would nurse him during the lunch breaks. But then I, my daughter, I got pregnant with my daughter while I was in the yoga teacher training um, as a surprise. And so she was actually in my belly for the last three months of my training. And so she came into the world in a lot of vibration of meditation. And that encouraged us to continue that vibration of doing yoga and meditation together as parents, as a couple really helped us with our transition, our transition into parenthood. Um, and so, yeah, we share that. I'm also an artist and a certified school teacher. So, um, I'm certified to teach K through 12 art education. And then I've been teaching in a Montessori classroom for the last few years because <laughs> I put my kids in Montessori schools and that's the only way we could afford the tuition. And also I just loved learning about it and I love that you clapped and oh, I think we really bonded over Montessori because we really did. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful world. Yeah. yeah, It's always fun for me. Uh, I mean, just your, your Instagram feed is fun generally. Anyway, <laughs> stories are fun and how you share your family and what you're up to and your own journey and so on and so forth. And every once in a while you sprinkle in some Montessori practical life or Montessori <laughs> art projects or whatever you happen to be doing in the classroom that day, or, you know, you don't film in the classroom, you know, for, yeah. reason, um, for privacy reasons, but that doesn't mean you don't comment on the cool yoga thing you did that day or something you overheard in the classroom or, or something like that. And it, it's as a, well, I was going to say former educator, but I guess my friends would all be like, Ryan, you're, you're still an educator. Shut up. So yes. as a former classroom educator, <laughs> elementary classroom educator, it's particularly exciting 
um, and having worked in the monastery environment for uh, just about 10 years, I just, there's something absolutely magical about um, the monastery philosophy and how a good Montessori teacher follows the child. And it just, mm-hmm. it's, it was all the conversation that we had around Montessori also connected so beautifully to um, what you were doing with your family yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it, it's amazing how these things all inform each other. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Exactly. And, and like the fact that we bonded over Montessori, um, I think just that's really exciting because the people who are involved in Montessori, I always know, um, oh, we're going to be able to also just be really real and like a conscious, like have a a conversation about consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, for me, like coaching, uh, there is a transformative experience required to be really good at being a Montessori teacher. There's a transformative mm-hmm. experience required to be really good at being a coach. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's there's a, a, a letting go of control as well as a honing in on a control that's perhaps much more valuable, which yeah. is a control of self. I, I like to say that classroom management is self-management. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a parenting, right? It's, it's self-management. Uh, so much uh, is actually self-management. And, I, and it's really wonderful reading blogs of people who went to Montessori because they thought it was a cool idea. And then they like find themselves uh, like crying at home. And they're like, why am I crying? And they're like, oh, I just processed this thing about my own childhood and, and how you know, beautiful education is and how I can be available to my students. And I don't mean that in a martyr, complex, self-sacrificial way. I mean in a real honest, here are my boundaries, here's what I need from you, but still letting the child be the child and yes. have experience and be developmentally appropriate. And there's just things so awesome about yes. that. <laughs> yes, I, I 100% agree. Hey, y'all, just want to take a quick break in the action, let you know that if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do recommend it to a friend. I would love to expand my audience. And the best ways to do that are word of mouth and reviewing my podcast on the iTunes Apple podcast platform. If you'd like to leave me a voice comment, go over to anchor.fm slash educate for life. Anchor.fm slash educate the number four life. It might even end up in the show. For more information about what I'm up to, please check out my website, www.educate4.life. That's educate the number four dot life. Now back to the show. And I love that you use the phrase to be available to the children because especially this last year, um, the phrase that I took out of this last year in the classroom (laughs) that's been so useful for me is actually, I'm not available, which was so beautiful for me to witness the the master teachers that I had the privilege of observing and working with, um, who had years and years and years of experience and to see them say to a child, I'm not available right now with complete respect and also just confidence in the child that the child would be able to take in that message and find a way through whatever they were working through. Because the teacher would only say that in the right context, they would only say it when the child was truly capable of taking care of the situation on their own. Yeah. Um, and it was a mark of respect. And it was the first time I think I'd ever been able to see that modeled as something that was allowed 
And it gave me so much power as a mother. I've been able to say to my children, I'm not available right now. And it gave me, a, like you said, a boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so intimate to be a parent, to like, especially the mother. They're part of your body. They're in your body. They are an organ of your body. And then they come out and you start to experience the separation, but it takes years for that full separation to happen. My son's now seven and I feel like we've finally become two separate beings. Um, For the first three years, you're pretty much still the same being. Like you're sharing still so much energy and connection. And so it was a real process for me to be able to come back into myself and, and separate from them. And so that phrase and the modeling of doing it respectfully and with love and that it actually is loving because I'm respecting their capacity. When I say I'm not available, I'm teaching them that it's okay to say it, that they're going to be fine, that they'll find a solution to what they're doing, that they can do it. And also giving them the chance to use that themselves. Yes. yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> like, they get to say it too. And, and, you know, in the Montessori classroom, that's so apparent when they're doing their work, they get to, someone else can come over and say, can I work with you on this? Or can I observe you? And the child has the right to say, no, thank you. Not right Mm -hmm. now. Not at this time. I would like to be by myself for a minute and concentrate by myself. And they don't have to say, I'm sorry. Mm. They just get to say, this is how I feel. And this is what I need. And I get, I get what I need, (laughs) like in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I think people maybe mistake um, boundaries for rejection. Yeah. And I think they mistake um, giving for um, some type of support or um, preparation. Like somehow if I, if, if I give you constant, um, blatantly present care that you will carry that type of care into the world. Whereas what people, what actually happens is you totally, you know, put your kid with crutches and say, never learn to walk. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can be loving in the, I'm not available. Mm-hmm. I'm not available. Isn't a rejection. It's actually could be one of the most loving things you can possibly do for your child mm-hmm. um, so that they understand that there are their limits and they also learn their own limits. And then, as you said, they can then communicate those limits to others. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't just become simply egocentric monsters, which they will be anyway by pure <laughs> human development because that's what humans do. Um, but that phase will look different on a child who has the capacity to understand development of boundaries, their own limits, other people's limits and request help honestly in that space rather than expect constant tending. uh, And, and not ever, as you said, being trusted to do for themselves. The number of times in the classroom that I had a 12 or 13 year old come up and say, Ryan, will you help me with this? And I'd say, you know, I'm busy right now. Um, and I've got two other people waiting, but you know, I'm going to get you as quickly as possible. And it might've been 45 minutes 
before yeah. I was able to go see that kid. That's just part of yeah. what happens in the Montessori classroom. And yeah. sure enough, within five minutes of leaving me, the kid figured it out on their own. Yeah. And I checked in like 45 minutes. Hi, I'm sorry. It took me so long. This happened. This happened. No excuse. It just is what it is. Let me check in on what you're doing. Do you still need help? They're like, oh, I figured it out. Yeah. Or, oh, oh, I asked a fellow student and we figured it out or, or whatever yeah. else. And it's like, yep. And, and so I just, I apologize honestly because I wanted to attend to their needs, but also I knew that there was a high probability that they would solve it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's just reminding me of this little three-year-old this year who, it was his first year in the Montessori classroom and his parents had just immigrated to the United States. And so he spoke very little English or heard very little English um, at home. And so in the classroom, he was encountering English for the first time. And he was, he was so beautiful and he was just learning so many things all at once. And one of them was, you know, being able to control his body. And he came up to me one day in the middle of the year and, you know, for the primary classroom, they put their hand on your shoulder when they need something. So they come up to you and they'll put their hand on your shoulder and they wait until you put your hand on their shoulder and look them in the eye as a signal that you're ready to hear their request. But until then, they need to be quiet. Otherwise, everyone knows toddlers love to run up and just shout whatever they need right at right. you immediately. And then if you didn't have that practice, you'd have six toddlers shouting at you at the same time. So this is like a really beautiful, effective way to, to manage that whole process. Um, so he came up and he put his hand on my shoulder and I was talking, or I was actually taking notes about what another child was doing. And another child was making a breakthrough with something they were working on. And I needed to write down exactly what was happening. And so I stayed focused and on task with what I was doing. And so this little boy had his hand on my shoulder. And I remember just wondering how long he would be able to stand there. Because when he came up to me, I could see in his eyes that something was really exciting, really exciting that had to happen. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I, I really was just, because um, I'm not trained as a Montessori teacher. So all of the assistant teaching I was doing, I was just learning on the job as an assistant teacher. And I was watching the master teachers. Um, and so he sat there, I would say for 10 minutes, like he stood there. And I, I remember thinking he's, he's going to be fine. Cause I had seen where he had come from and he just wanted to tell me something. Um, he's going to be fine. If he, if he doesn't remember what it was, then it's not a huge problem. He stood there for so long. And finally, I, the child I was observing finished what they were doing. I finished and I, I put my hand on his shoulder and I looked at him. He told me exactly what he needed to tell me about the counting board he had been working with. He held it in his brain. He mm. remembered it the whole time. And he stood there just patiently waiting. And that is an incredible skill for anyone, let alone a three-year-old. And now the capacity that he knows that he has inside of himself, what he was able to discover about himself mm -hmm. just in a silent moment of waiting was just really beautiful. And of course, you know, that's what it's like in a Montessori classroom. There's just moments like that, just one after another, boom, boom, boom of the beauty of life and humanity and being and presence like happening all around you. Yeah. 
So it's, it's so much of Montessori is, is basically holding the container, right? Holding the space for all of that to unfold. And there's so much indirect preparation, for example, what you described as an excellent example of indirect preparation where you were not actively teaching the child something, but they were learning something from the experience. It's like having mm-hmm. a three-year-old uh, trace um, letters um, in transparency paper uh, of the parts of the flower. This child isn't mm-hmm. even reading yet, mm-hmm. but they're learning how to write. And then they're going to learn the names of those letters and those shapes. Mm-hmm. And they've indirectly been processing the parts of the flower that whole time. So then mm-hmm. when the teacher reads them back the book that they wrote of the parts of the flower, now they're learning about the flower too. Like it's just the most incredible uh, opportunity, yeah. I think. Next time on Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. I did not expect us to spend uh, this much time on Montessori, but I do think that it is genuinely, when we talk about family mindfulness, it's really on point to just Mm -hmm. thinking about allowing for these experiences. And I specifically wanted to, to talk with you first, or I guess technically second now, about giving ourselves permission not to be perfect. Because mm-hmm. even with that description, that, that beautiful story you just told, you had to make a conscious decision mm-hmm. to let that child stand there. With all of the judgment that you were having in your, <laughs> in your head of yourself, of what everyone has ever taught you in your life about how you're supposed to be with the child and how you're supposed to pay attention to the child and how you haven't touched the child's hand and this poor child's hand that's been on your shoulder for however long. There's part of your brain going, should I have touched him already? Oh, Is yeah. Oh, yeah. Like all of these things are happening. So I don't want anyone to mistake that beautiful story for, and, and look how magical everything is. And it all was wonderful. And <laughs> la la la, wouldn't it be nice if you were perfect? It's like the opposite. Hey again, thanks for listening. If you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate for underscore life. That's educate the number four underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, so expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon.